I mean, if we had a, had a contest here to see who could throw the ball the farthest, the, who could hit New Carlisle, that's our goal. If you hit New Carlisle, you can be saved. Well, some of you have got really good arms, and you might make it all the way down to, you know, throw the ball all the way down to Bischoff Road or a little past that. You know, I might not have a very good arm. I might not make it out of the parking lot. But, folks, it really doesn't matter. Short is short. If we have to hit that standard, and nobody can hit that standard, all have sinned, all have fallen short. We like to think we judge one another kind of on a curve. We look around and we see others around us doing worse things. We hear of people falling into horrible sin. And as long as I can stay on the top of the curve, well, I don't do like that, that somehow we think we're okay. But folks, God sees things totally different. Before God, there are two type of people. Two type of people. There are sinners, and there are sinners who are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. There are those two categories. God doesn't see like we see it. We tend to, to judge by how obvious a man's sin is. But God judges righteousness based on whether there is any sin at all in a person's life. And verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short. It doesn't matter how short. Short is short. All have sinned. And that's why we can't obtain righteousness on our own because we fall short that's why only through christ can a person be righteous before god christ came down here god christ god's son lived that perfect life it says scripture tells us in all ways he was tested as we are yet without sin and he offered then his life as a sacrifice for sin, you know, he is that perfect Passover lamb, the lamb without stain or blemish. Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5 says this, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. Did he catch all this? The, the personalness of what Christ, it says he will do for us, he has done for you? He himself bore. He carried. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed. It fell upon him. By his scourging, we are healed. I don't see you and I in that equation I don't see your goodness in that equation or my goodness or any of my good deeds. I see Jesus Christ in there. And that's why we can say there are only two types of people. There are sinners, and there are sinners who are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ who are forgiven, who are redeemed. Those are the only two types of people that are out there that you are going to meet. Sinners or sinners who are redeemed. Our hope comes in that God has revealed his standard to man. The Jews, they were given the law. We have the law, and we have the New Testament. He has given us this standard, not so we can make ourselves better by being obedient to all the prophets. Matter of fact, in chapter, verse 20, it says, by the works of the law, no flesh 
will be justified. The law wasn't given to try to say, hey, you guys reach th- this bar here. This is what you need to do. You know, this is what God desires of you. That's not it at all. We have God's standards. It says in the second part of verse 20, it says, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. God revealed himself, his law in the Old Testament. He reveals himself to us in the New Testament that we might know how far we fall short and how impossible this task is to make ourselves righteous before God. Because that is where it all starts, knowing that we are sinners, knowing that we have fallen short. So as we talk to somebody about salvation, we better ultimately be talking about sin and about falling short because salvation, we say, is an issue of sin. And just as it is God's standards we are measured by, it's also God's law that we are judged by. It's not man's law. And no matter what we call sin, God calls it wrong. There are all sorts of things out in our culture today that are legal but are sinful. We can attest to that. Now, you know, it it would be easy to look at this, you know, and all that Paul has written here. Man, this is really negative. You know, somehow is, is God trying to rub our nose in the fact that we all fall short you know, we, we come up lacking. No, our, our only hope is to recognize our sin and recognize that we need God's provision for our sin. Without God's law, there would be no knowledge of sin. It would just be man's opinion, and that can change in cultures. Without the knowledge of sin, there would be no repentance. Without repentance, there would be no forgiveness. Without forgiveness, there would only be judgment that is waiting for us. That's why this is so important. God is not trying to beat us down to show us how unworthy we are. He is trying to get us to see a realistic aspect of ourselves, that we are all in need of a Savior. Matter of fact, for three and a half chapters of of the book of Romans, the theme has been very, very negative about our lacking. Man's sinfulness, our failure to glorify God. Even when we know God's law, we we continue in wrong, it tells us. And he touched on God's wrath and his, his righteous judgment. This whole scene describes a rather bleak, you know, dark outlook for mankind. You know, honestly, in today's culture, in today's church, these are subjects that so many want to avoid. We don't want to talk about the negative things. We don't want to talk about, about sin and God's wrath and God's judgment and, and what sin does in our relationship with him. But they are necessary, so necessary for us to understand if we're to grasp the full implication of what salvation is and what it means to be a child of God. Excuse me, I've, I've shared uh, this illustration with you before, uh, but when I, was, uh, when I was, what, 22 years old, when I was going to propose to Martha, um, I didn't go to a jeweler and pick out a ring. I actually went to a, a diamond uh, specialist to first pick out the diamond. And, 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 and that guy, he, he could have just handed me, you know, a bunch of diamonds and showed them to me in his hand, but he didn't. 
what he did is he took a black cloth and he laid this black velvet cloth out. And then he put these beautiful diamonds on the cloth. Because against the backdrop of that blackness, these, these diamonds, they just, they just sparkled. Well, that's what God has done for us in this text. He has given us a realistic picture of man's condition. He has talked to us about our sin nature and, and what happens because of our sin nature and our, our inability to reconcile ourselves to God through being good, you know, just you know, have, having the right intentions and the right efforts. The weight of despair is supposed to sit upon us. We're supposed to get to the place of saying, what can we do? Where can we turn? I mean, this is black. This is dark. And in the midst of that darkness, Paul says, let me give you the diamond here. In verse 21, he says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his great grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness, because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration I say of his righteousness at this present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus you see in the blackness of mankind in the hopelessness of mankind comes the light of Jesus Christ And we will not be able to understand the hope which God is reaching out. We will not be able to truly, even as a Christian, appreciate what God has done for us if we forget the state that we were in, from which we were saved. Whether it was as a young child, well, I didn't really have that much sin. Or as adults, oh, I was basically a good person. If we don't understand our wretchedness before God and our desperateness before God, I mean, folks, that's going to affect our walk with Christ even after we get saved, you know, after we accept him. Understanding what Christ has done for us, where we were, is essential for my obedience to Christ now, for my hunger for him, for my desire to be with him. No person is born in this world righteous. There's not a person that is born with a right standing. There is a wall of sin that stands between you and God. There is a wall of sin that stands between me and God. We are all born with this sin nature. And we must first accept our unrighteousness before we can ever seek the righteousness which God is providing for us. Verse 21 says, But now apart from the law... In other words, apart from all those do's and don'ts, that's not how you did it. Again, the law was to reveal our sin to us, how, how much we fall short. Apart from the law, he says, the righteousness of God has been manifested. In other words, it has been demonstrated. God's righteousness has been shown to us, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So he's talking about the law and the prophets. The Old Testament, these books, 
that they have witnessed, they have pointed to what God's righteousness was going to be. And throughout history, God has been telling us of the righteousness that would come through his son, Jesus Christ. Way back in the book of Genesis, Jesus is seen as the one who would crush the serpent, Satan's you know, head, defeat death and sin. In Exodus, he is painted as that Passover lamb who when God sees the, the shed blood will pass over the judgment of that home. You look at the whole sacrificial system of the Old Testament, all of it foretold of the need to have a payment for our sin. I mean, again, I'm, I'm reading through the Bible in a year, and, and, and I have been in for weeks in all of the laws and the do's and don'ts, and when you did this, you had to do that, you know, and offer this, and it all was showing that there is a price, a price, there is a blood price to be paid for our sin. It was all pointing to one day that God would shed his own blood for us, the perfect lamb without stain or blemish. Of Christ, the prophet Isaiah said, In chapter 9, verse 6, for a child will be born to us. He says a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, the Prince of Peace. The law and the prophets have foretold of this righteousness of God that was going to come. The psalmist talks about the pictures of, of Christ on the cross. As it says in Psalms chapter 22, He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. We know these these words are spoken by Christ on the cross. All who see me sneer at me. This is a prophecy of Christ's coming. They separate with their lips. They wag their heads saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver you. Let him rescue you because he delights in him. All through the Old Testament, It kept pointing to the one that was going to come. God said in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I'm going to send a messenger, and he will clear this way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Through Christ, God is offering us three things that we cannot attain on our own. The, the Old Testament all pointed to it, and Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of it. Look what those three things are in verse 24. Verse 24 and into 25. <clears throat> it says, being justified as a gift by his grace through redemption, which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Now, there are three words there, important words to us. They are the words justified, they are the words redemption, and there's the word propitiation, which means atonement. Let's take a real quick look at those words. Number one, justified. Dikosis, it means in the Greek. It's a term used by a court to pronounce an acquittal. It means to deem to be right. When we become a Christian, when I give up my own efforts to please God, when I totally rest on Jesus Christ on the cross, I see my need and I see his payment for my sin. When those two things come together and I accept that in my heart, he justifies me. He deems me to be right. In other words, it means justice 
in my life has been served through Jesus Christ. Now, I'm sure you've heard this definition of justification, you know, that it means just as if I hadn't sinned, justification. And, and you know, that, that's, a, that's a good rhyme, but it, it's not really accurate because justification doesn't mean that I didn't do it. You know, justified, justification means guilty, but my guilt has been placed upon Jesus Christ. My guilt, your guilt for your sin has been placed on Jesus Christ. It has been nailed to the cross. And the payment taken in Christ's suffering. Justification is guilty, but I have been freed from my guilt. Justice has been served. I didn't serve it. God's son, Jesus Christ, served it for me. And this, this is, you know, this is going to affect a Christian's relationship with God. I mean, if we understand, again, who we are to Jesus and, you know, what he has done for us to bring us into his family, if we can really remember that, don't you think that's going to affect your walk? Don't you think that's going to affect the time that you go to God's word and you, you open the Bible and you read and he speaks to you? Don't you think that's going to affect your desire to go to him and to speak to him in prayer and cast your cares upon him and include you in throughout the day? If we understand what God has done for us, that's going to change our walk as Christians. The second word he wants us to understand is the word redemption. Now, I've, I've taught this before, but there are, there are basically three Greek words that are in the New Testament translated uh, redemption. Uh, the first is the word agorazo, and that word means to buy in a slave market. It's a picture of, of someone entering in, going into the place, seeing a slave there, and purchasing that slave. In other words, in redemption, Christ paid for us while we were slaves, while we were on that market, while we were on that stand, while we were, the world was auctioning us off. Christ paid for us. He gave his blood for our sins. The second word for redemption in the Greek is exagorazo. It means to buy out of the slave market. It means to rescue. In other words, Christ not only paid our price and purchased us through his blood, but then he took us out of the market and he set us free. The redeemed will never be put on sale again in any slave market. I am free because of Jesus Christ, not to be enslaved again by the world and by sin and by judgment. The third word is the word lutro, and it means to set free. Okay, so you have agorazo to buy in, exagorazo to take out, and the word lutro means to set free by paying a price. It means to loose, to release. Christ bought us while we were slaves to sin. He took us out and he set us free. The third word that I want to focus on is the word propitiation. Um, it's easier probably for us to say atonement. They mean the same thing. That word means, it means to make one. It means to appease. Uh, it, it, it has that picture of, of a covering. In verse 25, it said, whom God displayed, displayed publicly as an atonement in his blood through faith, as a covering in his blood. You know, as one who would, would, you know, as God would see him, would turn aside the wrath of God. 
That's why we say there are only two types of people in the world. Those who are sinners and those who are sinners that when God looks at us, he sees our covering and he sees his son, Jesus Christ. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus Christ. Now, now you may be wondering why Paul took the time and the energy to lay all these principles, all, all these, these theological truths. To answer that, we need to go right back where we started with this message. You see, if you can't accept verse 10, that there is none righteous, not even one, that I am not righteous, that you are not righteous, if you cannot accept that, then you can't accept verse 24 through 26, that Christ is the, the, our redemption, that he is our atonement, that he is our justification. Why? Because recognizing your sin and where it puts you in relationship to God is the key to accepting Christ's redeeming blood. You have to come with a need. Christ didn't come to seek those who were already thought they were healthy, didn't think they had any need, you know, didn't have any problems. And so I offer you today, if you're here today, and as you're hearing this, I mean, you're here today for a reason, and God has ordained this time and this moment for you to hear this message. If you look at your life and for whatever reason, you say, well, I'm a good person or I'm a religious person, you know, similar to, you know, the, the, the rich young ruler, or, you know, the Pharisees were religious. Even the Samaritan woman, you know, in, in all of her sin, you know, she, she was still very religious. If you are here today, though, and you are resting on what you have done to appease God or you have done for God to, to show his favor to you, that falls short. Our only hope is to abandon ourselves and totally give our lives, our hearts, to Jesus Christ and to accept his offer of forgiveness through his shed blood. And you can do that today. You can open your heart right now. When we close the service, we'll, we'll pray to that end. And it's not going to be magical words that you pray. It's going to be a heart that opens up to God. God sees the heart of man. Right now, you can do that. Today can be your day of salvation. But for a Christian, as well, recognizing our sin and where it puts us in relationship to God, it's the key. It's a key step for us to continue to establish a fellowship with God. I mean, when, when I grow callous towards God, when I forget what he has done for me, I mean, that's why Hebrews tells us to call to remembrance those former days. Because you may be a child of God for how many years? You know, I've known Christ since I was 15 years old. And in that time, we have those ups and downs and, and those times that God doesn't feel close. Folks, God hasn't moved. I've moved. And coming to a realization of who I am and my sin and my need for Christ, that's what draws me back to him. That's what draws me, back, draws me back, not in just the things I do, but in the heart that I have for God. And that's what he wants. He's not looking for externals. He's looking for a heart that you have for, for God. Those of us who know Christ as, as our Lord and Savior, we're, we're saved. We're not perfect. We are just forgiven. And just like 
a child will wrong their parents and need to restore that fellowship. You know, so a child of God must continually restore our fellowship with God. Not our salvation, but just that, that fellowship with God. And we need to understand that as believers. I mean, wouldn't this make a difference to you today? I mean, really. I mean, re- think back. I, I, I accepted Christ when I was 15 years old. I still remember the moment. I still remember that, that feeling washing over me. I mean, of, of, of realizing, I mean, it had been over a year that people were sharing with me and, and taking me to Bible studies, to youth group, and I came, was coming to understand where I was and coming to grips with that reality that I was a sinner, that I could only be saved through Christ. I just remember that washing over me, and it changed my life. And to remember that moment, I mean, at that moment and for that time, you know, immediately following it, man, God was so real. God was so fresh. But, I mean, we're talking 45 years ago. You know, it's so easy, like Israel, you know, once, once things calmed down and life started to happen, they, it's so easy to forget God. God always would call them back, call them back to repentance, call them back to recognize their sinfulness and their need for him. I wonder, is God, is God doing that in your life right now? I mean, do you feel a dryness? Do you feel like you're kind of out in the desert? Obviously, you're still going and doing the right things. You're, you're here in church today. Maybe you're reading your Bible, still praying, still serving. But the heart isn't there. It's time to call to remembrance what we were before Christ saved us. It's time to remember where we were headed, what our future would have been, what our eternity would have been had Christ not called you to himself and opened your heart up to him. That makes all the difference for us as believers in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord God, I... I first call upon you, Lord, on behalf of anyone here. As they look at their life, Father, they they see that what they've been doing is falling short of your righteousness. And they are right now, they are ready to give their heart to you, to accept your death on the cross. Father, I pray that, that you will just bind Satan at this moment in their life that wants to give them all sorts of reasons you know, not to, to just rely on what they have. I pray, God, that you will work into their heart until they open themselves, their heart up to you. And I thank you for any who do that here today. Lord, I I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ as I pray for myself. Open our spiritual eyes, Lord. Help us to never forget from what we were saved. Allow us to see what our sin, you know, caused our Savior Jesus to do, our, our, our God, our Creator, to endure on our part. The thorns in his, upon his head, the spikes in his hands, the beating, Lord, the suffering, the death that he gave for each of us because he would rather die than live without us. 
And God, I pray that that would just wash over us a new, fresh, freshness every day. And God, that will cause us, the love for Christ will constrain us to serve, to be with you. Thank you, Father. We pray these things in my son's name.